We're continuing our series uh, on sanctification this morning. We're getting close to the end of this. We're going to be in the book of Hebrews chapter 12 this morning. If you'd like to turn there, uh, you can also find the text printed in your bulletin. If you, if you haven't watched uh, the Barkley Marathons, it's a, it's a documentary on Netflix. I would strongly encourage you to watch the, the Barkley Marathons. Uh, the Barkley Marathons... Uh, is a 100-mile off-road race through the backwoods of Tennessee held at the Frozen Head State Park. You've got 60 hours, yes, that's two and a half days, to run five 20-mile loops. You have to do each loop in under 12 hours, or you're disqualified, and there's 67,000 total feet of climbing that you do over the course of the 100 miles. Uh, one guy once finished the race in 59 minutes and 28 seconds, cutting it a little close. In 2001, two guys who had failed to complete the race several times actually finished the race in 58-21, only to be disqualified because they had accidentally left the course for 200 yards. Sorry, come back next year. Um, to, to prove that you've actually been around each loop, they put paperback books scattered along, and you have to find the book and pull the page number out corresponding, I think, to your bib number to prove and bring that back with you to prove you've actually done the loop. The race was started in, I got all kind of facts here. The race was, was started in 1986, and since it was started, around 1,000 people have entered this race, and only 15 people have finished. Not, not one. Only 15 people have finished. Some years nobody finishes. Only 15 people have finished this race since 1986. Here's what we're going to talk about this morning, a little more soberly. Uh, not everybody who starts the race that is the Christian life finishes the race. Uh, you see that very plainly in Jesus' parable of the soils. You see it throughout the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is written to those who profess faith in Christ, yet are being tempted to fall away, to drift away because of trials and persecution. They're tempted to leave Jesus. And so the call of the book of Hebrews and the call to us this morning as we read this is to finish the race, to finish the race. So let's look together. I'll read this for us. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. This is God's word. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from, from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives." It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? 
If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Pray with me. Father, help us as we uh, approach this passage. I pray that you would give us uh, soft and humble and open hearts. I pray that you would... Help me to speak carefully and wisely. Uh, And the Holy Spirit, would you apply what is good and true and and do away with anything I say that is not. Uh, But would you come and and help us and speak to us this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, four things I want us to think about this morning about this race that is the Christian life. Four questions, really. Number one, what's the prize for finishing? Right, what's the what's the prize for finishing this race? Number two, what's the course look like? Number three, how should I run? And number four, what's going to happen to me as I run? So number one, what's the prize for finishing? Look at verse 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And so where this is all driving to, at the end of the race, we get to see the Lord. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9, Paul in a similar passage writes, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. And everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air But I buffet my body and make it my slave, lest possibly after I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. Uh, The prize at the end of the race is heaven. It's eternal life. It's seeing Jesus. Philippians 3, Paul writes, Not that I have already obtained it, meaning the resurrection, or have already become perfect, but I press on in order that I may lay hold of that, for which I also was laid hold of by Jesus Christ. Now let me, I want to read to you a section from, from John Piper commenting on this. I think it will be helpful as we think about this. Here's what Piper says. This is the utterly unique thing about the way a Christian runner runs. We run not as though we see Jesus the judge at the end merely scrutinizing while we rely on ourselves for strength. But we run as those who have already been taken hold of by Jesus for the prize. We run to win the prize and the power of having been taken hold of for the prize. In other words, we run to obtain eternal life because we have already been obtained for eternal life. And our running for it is the proof that we have been obtained for it. We have been obtained by God's sovereign election before the foundation of the earth. 
We have been obtained by his predestination to adoption. We have been obtained by, his, by the reconciling death of his son while we were still sinners. We have been obtained by regeneration and effectual calling. We have been obtained by the indwelling, sealing work of the Holy Spirit. On the basis of this massive work of God in Christ, to obtain us apart from any initiatives of our own, Paul now says here in 1 Corinthians, Run that you may obtain the prize, namely the prize for which you have been obtained. God has not saved you to sit in the stands. God has not saved you to lie on the track. God has not saved you to sit on the edge of the pool with your feet in the water. God has saved you to spend yourself for the glory of his son. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. Glorify God in your body. The point of salvation is to make the glory of God visible in the universe. Um, Salvation is absolutely all by faith. But saving faith is persevering faith. Uh, Imagine if LeBron James called you up and said, man, I've tried two different lineups with the Cavaliers this year. Nothing's working. I want you to come and be a part of my team. And you join the team. But after like two or three weeks, you quit coming to practice. And then you started wearing a, a Celtics jersey to practice. And you quit listening to the coach and you started running your own plays At some point, the outside observer might be led to conclude that while you appeared to be part of the team, you hadn't really ever joined the team. Uh, First John puts it this way, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. Now, the the question that always comes up when you're talking about passages like this is, well, what about once saved, always saved? Don't we believe in once saved, always saved? Yes, we do believe that. That's true. But the key phrase in that, I think, is the phrase once saved. Uh, Conversion is not simply the saying of a prayer or casting a vote for Jesus or walking down the aisle or raising your hand while... All eyes are closed. It it may come about that way. But conversion is the work of the Holy Spirit making dead people alive. Opening spiritually blind eyes to the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that Jesus is seen and believed on and rested upon for salvation. And that faith, once awakened, while it may run off the road and into the ditch sometimes repents and comes back to Jesus, drives back onto the road and continues to walk with Jesus Christ. Well, doesn't Jesus keep those who are his? Yes, absolutely. He does do that. But he uses means to do that. He doesn't just magically transport you to the end of the race. Uh, And one of the means that he uses, if you read through the book of Hebrews especially, is the warnings of Scripture not to forsake the faith, not to walk away from Christ. And so the warnings of Scripture are like these big flashing uh, signs along the road that say, don't go here, road's closed. And those who are in Christ learn to heed those warnings. Or when they wreck, they, they get back and they continue to follow after Jesus Christ. But let me back up 
a little bit. Uh, we said the prize is to see the Lord. It's to see the Lord. Does that, does that seem like a good prize to you? Like for, for this race that we have to run? That, that at the end I get to see Jesus? And First John says that when I see him, I will become like him because I will see him as he is. Does that, does that seem like a good prize to you? Uh, several years ago, there was a song by Mercy Me called Only Imagine, and some of the lyrics are, Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in all of you be still? Will I stand in your presence, or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. And I, I, I'm pretty sure we're all just falling face down, but... but you know, maybe our reaction is like one of those. Have you ever been to like to a Braves game and they've got the, the military family there who's, whose loved one is, is off in Iraq or Afghanistan and they're just on, all they know is they're honoring them that day. And then suddenly here comes their spouse walking out of nowhere and they just, I mean, it's, it's a beautiful thing to see. They just break down. I mean, that, maybe that's what it's going to be like when we finally see Jesus. Uh, but on that day, when you finish the race, you get to see the one who died to rescue you. And you'll be healed of all of your sin and all of your sickness and all of your guilt and all of your shame and all those questions that float around in our head and all of our doubts will be done away with and all of our pain and heartache will be taken away. That's, that's the prize, y'all. That's, that, this is a race you want to finish. This is a race you want to finish. Now, secondly, what's the course look like? All right, what's the course look like? Uh, this is not a jog in the park. The Christian life is not a jog in the park. It really is more like the Barkley Marathons. Uh, a, a few years ago, uh, our family had the chance to go with Susan's family to Gettysburg to tour the battlefield. And this was kind of a bucket list thing for Susan's dad, who was, who was dying at the time. And we had like a, a personalized tour from somebody who gives tours to really big wigs. And so she took us, she was an expert, and took us all around Gettysburg. And we got to see the spot on the battlefield where Susan's great, great, great something grandfather was actually wounded. They think this was the place where he was actually wounded at that battle. And it was incredible. The Christian life is like a battlefield, but it's not like going to Gettysburg today. Like that's a nice little tour, but it's, there's nothing to it really, Right. It's like going back then when the battle's actually happening. The, the Christian life is a battle. It's difficult. Uh, verse 1, we're told that there are weights, things that weight us down that we have, to, we have to cast aside, that there's sin that easily entangles us that we have to cast off. Uh, in the parable of the soils, which I mentioned earlier, Jesus says that there are people who are going to drop out of the race when persecution comes. We have to face persecution and the, the cares of the world, and the deceitfulness of riches. Uh, Jesus warns us to count the cost before we enter this race, that our entry into the race may mean that family men or members hate us, or it might cost us our job, or it could even conceivably cost us our very life. I, I remember when I was in seminary in Charlotte, there was a series of commercials being aired with well-known kind of celebrity Christians 
And, and they were talking about how wonderful the Christian life was. And if you just become a Christian, then everything is going to be wonderful. And I, I understood what they were saying. They were, they were trying to be positive. And there is great joy and blessing in following Jesus. But I always felt like it's a little bit of false advertising. Because everything is not just perfect once you begin to follow Jesus. Uh, the course is not easy. The race is not easy. Uh, Andrew Brunson, some of you may have heard of, is an American citizen. He, is, he has been a pastor in Turkey uh, for 23 years, and he was jailed in 2016 and accused of being a part of a plot to overthrow the government. And he has been sitting in jail there ever since, and he is facing now the, the probability of life in prison. Life in prison. This race is not easy. Uh, we have Amer- uh, amazing freedoms here as Christians, which, I mean, we ought to be crazy thankful for. But even in the midst of all this, it's not easy. We have sin that deceives us, suffering that makes us question our faith at times, uh, distractions that pull us away from Jesus. And sometimes, honestly, Jesus just seems irrelevant to our everyday lives. And so the race, the race is not easy. The course is not easy. Thirdly, then, well, well how should I run? Uh, we're told here to run with endurance, to run with endurance. But, but what does that mean practically? What does that mean? Uh, first of all, we're told here that we have to throw things overboard. We have to lay aside every weight. Uh, there's a great scene in, in Bill Bryson's book. I haven't seen the movie, but in Bill Bryson's book, A Walk in the Woods, which is about him hiking the Appalachian Trail, and for, I can't remember now, it's been a long time since I read it, but for some reason he decides to take this friend with him who's really out of shape and who really has no business being on the Appalachian Trail. And this friend like crazily overpacks. And so he's got this huge pack and he's really out of shape and he's trying to do the Appalachian Trail. And he finally just gets fed up with it and he starts just throwing things into the woods. Like he's throwing water bottles into the woods, and he's throwing frying pans into the woods, and he's throwing his granola into the woods because he's just got too much weight on his pack. Uh, th- these are good things, right? They were, they were good things, but they were good things that were weighting him down. Uh, the weights that we're called to lay aside as we run this course are not necessarily sinful things. Sometimes they are simply good things that are hindering our ability to walk with Jesus. They may may be hindering our faith. They may be hindering our ability to love other people well. They may be hindering us from prayer. They may be hindering us from devoting ourselves to kingdom causes. And those things might look different from you than they look for me. For some of us, it may be watching 12 hours of Netflix a day that's bogging us down uh, for others of us it's a it's some hobby that consumes us there are these things that are good things but they're weighting us down from following jesus and doing the work of the kingdom and we're so we're told to cast them aside but then we're also told here that there is sin that very easily entangles us uh, those of you who've been fly fishing you know that so you got your, your long line and then you tie some more line onto that and then some more line onto that and then you 
you put a fly on there, and then sometimes if you're being, Philip can describe this much better. He's mocking me in his head now. But, and then, so you've got this, you've got this fly, and then you're trying to be tricky. They're not biting, so it's like this big, and you tie another line onto that with another fly on that. And you've got all this waving around and trying to cast into the wind. And sometimes, unless you're a professional, sometimes you just get really crazily tangled up. And it's, everything is just, and it's easily, it easily happens. Sin is like that. We are constantly looking at sin going, I can do this, and I'm not going to get tangled up in this, and I'll just pick it up for a minute, and then everything's going to be okay. But we are easily entangled in our sin. And, and, and we're being told here, cast that aside. Throw away everything that so easily entangles. So there are these weights, there are these things that entangle us that we have to cast overboard. Then in the midst of all this, we're called as well to look to Jesus. To look to Jesus. Uh, We look to Jesus as our example. Look at verse 3. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility at himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. We, we look to Jesus as our example as how to run a difficult race in the midst of suffering. We look to Jesus as our Savior, the one who is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. And we look to him running toward the finish line, knowing that at that finish line, he eagerly awaits us. We're told here that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross for the joy set before him endured the cross Um, suffering we don't know the the why of suffering but we know it can't mean that God doesn't care because God himself has entered into our suffering in the person of Jesus Christ Christianity is actually the only religion where God enters into our suffering to do something about it And so Jesus, for the joy set before him, the joy of redeeming a people for himself, the the joy of ending, ending our suffering, the joy of glorifying his father, he endured the cross. He endured the cross. Uh, Some of us have a hard time believing that someone could love. You have a hard time. You say, I have a hard time believing somebody could love me. I have a hard time believing somebody could love, that Jesus could really love me. I I messed up. I hate what I see when I look in the mirror every day. My background is too dark. I'm depressed all the time. I have doubts all the time. There, There is nothing special about me. Believer in Jesus Christ, hear me when I say this to you. Jesus Christ, because he wanted to wrap you in his arms when you come across that line. Because he wants to take away your brokenness. Because he loves you and wants to welcome you into his eternal kingdom. For that joy, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross for you. And he's waiting to welcome you and love you. Look at that. Look at him as you run this difficult course. Uh, look at him like the, like the light at the end 
of the tunnel. Look at him like Peter was looking at him at the beginning of his experience walking on water. Look at him waiting to welcome you. See him with eyes of faith saying to you, I love you. I love you. Your sins are forgiven. I endured the cross for you. Look at me and believe that. We look at Jesus. We throw aside the weights. And we run with the encouragement of others. Uh, We're told here at the very beginning, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. The chapter before, uh, Hebrews 11, is is kind of a hall of faith. Uh, It's a list of of all of these uh, people who had followed God before in the Old and some examples from the New Testament that who have who followed God with eyes of faith. And they are those that are meant, they're pictured here surrounding us and cheering us on as we race. And, and I don't think this means that they're like watching in heaven, like India, or they have us on direct TV right now and they're like, go for it. But I think this means that their lives of faith witness to us. That, that their lives speak to us now, even though they're dead. And they're, they're saying to us, y'all, I screwed up a bunch of times too. Like, that's the interesting thing about Hebrews 11. They're held up as these examples. And you go back and read about them, like, they're kind of messed up. All right. And so they're saying to us, I messed up too. I fell and bloodied my knees and my elbow and my face, and I almost scalped myself. But by faith... I finished the race, and you can finish the race too. Uh, one of the, the fun things for me this year as an Auburn fan has, has been our basketball season, which I'm, I think is very close to a close. But it's been interesting to watch how differently we played at home and on the road. And some of you have had teams that some years are like this. Like they, they can't do anything away from home, and then they just beat everybody tremendously by a huge margin at home. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, why is that? Well, you've got home court advantage, and you're surrounded by this great crowd who is cheering you on. When we, when we run this race, we're surrounded not by those who don't know anything about the race we've run, but by those who have run it before us. And they're saying, you can finish this. You can finish this. I finished the race by faith, and you can too. And I think that the takeaway for us is to actually look at these lives in the Bible and to be encouraged by them. Be be encouraged that in the midst of their sin, they finish the race by faith. And I think you can apply this too today to those uh, perhaps who are older than you in the faith. I I think about if you've been watching March Madness, uh, Loyola Chicago, their team chaplain is a 98-year-old nun who, who now is celebrity of the week. But they've just drawn all this inspiration from her. Uh, I think about when I'm discouraged in the, in, the, in the Christian walk, when I'm discouraged in ministry, sometimes I'll go and I've got my diploma from seminary on the wall. And I don't go and look at it and go, you're a graduate, you can do this. That's not what I do. I go and I look at it and I look at the names that are assigned on there, some of those who are no longer living. And, and I can just like hear them in, encouraging me to keep going, to keep going. Those who have gone before us, help us to keep going in the faith. We're not on our own in this. Well, last thing, 
Uh, so what's going to happen to me while I run? What's going to happen to me while I run? And, and I won't read this again, but, but this is kind of taken from verses 5 through 10 here. When we run, we run through difficulties. We run through hardships. And God uses these difficulties, he uses these hardships to shape us into the people he intends us to be. He disciplines us as his children. Uh, Sometimes that may be the direct result of my individual sin that discipline comes into my life. But more often than not, it's simply part of life in a fallen world. And God uses the difficulties of life in a fallen world to, to shape us into the people he intends for us to be. And he does this because he loves us. He does this because he loves us. As, as hard as it is for us to grasp sometimes. But that's what loving fathers do. That's what loving fathers do. They discipline their children. You know, what does that look like? Sometimes that takes the form of extra chores. Sometimes that takes the form of, hey, you really got to study. Sometimes that takes the form of, hey, you need to memorize scripture. Sometimes it's a spanking. Sometimes it's taking a privilege away. And, you know, our children, they, they don't like this now. What, what this says is that they will respect us for it in the future if we have diligently disciplined them. And what we're told here as well is that fathers and mothers who don't discipline your children, when we don't discipline our children, we're not really loving our children. That that's not being loving to them. What we really love in that moment is having our children like us and we're afraid to lose that. And we're driven by that. And so we refrain from disciplining them. Or we may be overreacting, overreacting to the way we're raised. Um, moms and, and dads, and, I, and I, I'm not getting, I hope I'm not getting on too much of a tangent, but your children have to know that, you're loved, that they are loved and they have to know they can't do anything they want to do and there are consequences of that. Those are like, if you get those two things right in parenting, I think you've got 90% of the battle. That they are loved but they cannot do anything that they want to do. Now, what this text says in so many words is that earthly parents, we do the best we can with that. And we don't always get that right. And sometimes we over-discipline, and sometimes we under-discipline, and sometimes we throw up our hands and we have no idea what we're doing. Uh, and, and then sometimes we discipline with mixed motives, like we're supposed to be doing this lovingly, but we're really just kind of hacked off is, is what's really going on there. We don't always get it right, but God always gets it right. He always disciplines us for our good. He always disciplines us and trains us with the right motives because he's working to conform us to the image of his son. Uh, Tom Landry, the coach of the Dallas Cowboys years ago, once said, the job of a coach is to make men do what they don't want to do in order to be what they've always wanted to be. To make them do what they don't want to do in order that they may be who they've always wanted to be. Uh, God, through the difficulties of the race, through the difficulties of the Christian life, is making us into the men and women we would want to be if we had God's view of what's going on in our lives. Uh, Josh Killen, some of you know Josh, is a friend of mine at, at Mount Calvary, our mother church. 
And he was told by doctors a couple of years ago that he was morbidly obese and that he was going to die if he didn't lose some weight. And, and he's lost 175 pounds. Uh, and I, I can't, it's like two years. Does that sound right? In, in two years, he's lost 175 pounds. Uh, and, and every time I, I think about that, I'm like, Josh, man, why didn't you tell me you were going to do this? We would have gotten you on The Biggest Loser, and we would all be rich right now because everybody would love you. You're like the greatest guy in the world. But, but, how is he, but how has he lost all this weight? Well, it's through discipline, uh, the discipline of what he eats and the discipline of exercise. And eating right and exercising are painful right? It's painful saying no to certain things. It's painful getting up and going to the gym. But those disciplines shape us in to who we want to be. God's discipline, which is painful at times, is what he uses to shape us in to the men and women that he intends for us to be. They create in us the holiness without which no one will see the Lord, we're told here. Do you, do you want that? Do you want that? Do you want to be shaped into the image of Jesus Christ? Do you want holiness? I guess is a question. Uh, if your answer to that is maybe, let me think about it, or maybe I do, but not yet. I don't want holiness in my life yet. If, if that's your answer, let me ask you this. Why do you think you will enjoy holiness in heaven if you don't enjoy it now? Why do you think you're going to enjoy holiness in heaven if you don't enjoy holiness of life now? But if your answer is yes, I want to be this person that God intends me to be, then be encouraged. Because even in the trials that we hate, even in the suffering that you don't understand, even when all the kids are sick and screaming at once and your spouse is nowhere to be found, God is using that to make you and I like Jesus Christ. Be encouraged by that. And finish the race. Let me pray. Father, we pray that we would uh, run this race well. And we realize we run it entirely dependent upon your grace. Uh, so help us, Father, by your grace to throw off the weight that weighs us down and the sin that so easily entangles and help us to fix our eyes upon Jesus. Help us to be those living encouragements to one another in the race as well. Uh, Father, would you help us in this? Would you increase our faith, strengthen our faith, maintain our faith uh, in your Son who loves us to the end? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.